0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bioconnect podcast. Today, I talk with Dr. Sarah Talarovic from Vernier about science education during remote learning, and I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Hello. Hi there. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Doing Okay. So, if you're ready, do you want to get started?
1: Yeah, we can do that.
0: Okay, so I was thinking that we could just start by you kind of giving a brief overview of like who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Sure. So, um, I am Sarah Tilarvic. Um, I have a PhD in zoology um, that I earned 20 years ago. I realized that this year is the 20th anniversary of my degree. Um, I worked as a college professor for almost 15 years, uh, teaching different levels of biology, everything from introductory to graduate level. And uh, three years ago, I made the change to leave academia and actually become uh, an employee of Lanier Software and Technology. Um, I had been a longtime user of their product and
0: mm-hmm.
1: a big believer in teaching science with hands-on methods. So I, uh, when they had an opening, I decided to try something new, and I love it because now I work with teachers, uh, so I still get to teach workshops and kind of have that, that professor-like interaction with, uh, I always really enjoy teaching mm-hmm. and working with students, so now I'm just teaching teachers instead of working directly with
0: students. Yeah, and like the main reason that I like wanted to talk to you and have this conversation because I use like Rainier products a lot just in my science classes and I thought it would be really cool just to see from kind of like your like company perspective, I guess, how how you guys are handling or viewing this whole COVID-19 crisis, especially with remote learning. So my first question to you is what, like, what are you doing or what do you think needs to be done to support like the students when they have to learn online?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think in an ideal situation, it would be best for students always to have hands-on activities that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think it's a challenge. Having talked um, as long as I did, I know that student engagement in a topic is very much driven by direct involvement. So when students right. really feel invested um, in in, in activity it's a lot easier to learn the material because it doesn't feel like you're working, right? It feels Mm -hmm. like you're doing something fun and interesting. Um, I think that that's probably the biggest challenge that faces students and faculty right now is that the online environment works very well for some students, but it doesn't work for everyone. And I think there's probably a, a big population of students that it may not be a great environment, and then there's probably a population of students that it's really terrible. Um, And I think that's the biggest hurdle uh, that everyone is dealing with in trying to learn. There's been such an emphasis nationwide on things like standardized testing and students meeting benchmarks to keep everybody ideally on kind of on the same level um, or to make sure that every student is reaching goals every semester or every year. And I think that's going to be a real problem just if the, if the online learning environment is not helpful to all students, then I do worry mm-hmm. about how we, how we work through
0: that and how we make that up. Yeah, like definitely just speaking from my own experience, um, doing labs and science classes, it's really like difficult because obviously like you're not there and like no one is really there to guide you. And so what ends up happening most of the time is we just end up watching a video of the lab and just writing, writing out these analysis questions, which is like exactly the opposite of what you would want to be doing in a real science class. So my next question that I have is, do you like, what do you think that teachers are needing during this time? Like, as opposed to students? Uh, sorry, what was, uh, the,
1: the question is what do I think that teachers like
0: are challenged with? Or? Yeah, yeah, what do you think teachers are challenged with?
1: Um, you know, I think all teachers probably have the same concern right now, which is how to reach all of their students and keep them interested and keep them engaged. Excuse me. I have quite a few um, friends who are still teaching, um, both at at everything from 3K all the way up through college. And the things that I hear from them, as well as when I talk to teachers um, on the phone, is the challenge for many of them it's the challenge of technology mm-hmm. um having to basically force everybody into using technology that not everyone is, possible, uh, is, is uh, comfortable with um students having to use technology at home uh, that they may not have great connections or equipment they may not have access um for teachers i think uh, i know that a lot of teachers are concerned with finding quality material and something that really excites mm-hmm. the students. But the things that I hear most about are, are really more of those mundane issues of, of you know, what happens when, when the platform goes down or what happens if um, students can't connect. And I, I think it feels it's sometimes for people like a, a death by a thousand cuts, you know, so mm-hmm. many little things that are getting in the way of an experience with their students. And for those that, um, are 100% remote, I think it's especially a big impact. I know that uh, for me, my interaction, my direct interaction with my students was really rewarding. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. seeing them every day and talking with them every day. And having that disconnect, you don't really know how everybody's doing. Right. And that was, I found one of the best ways to check in with students was to have a a face-to-face conversation. And, of course, that's not possible for a lot of students.
0: Yeah, exactly. So kind of moving forward, what do you think, like, what do you think, like, some of the long-term effects would be of this whole, like, COVID crisis for students? Like, what what could, like, what problems could this cause in the future, I guess?
1: Oh, wow. You know, I I had, it's really hard to predict because we have never been through something quite like this mm-hmm. before. I think that one concern that I had early on is that it was forced online learning to happen on a, I would hate to see in-person learning yield permanently to online learning, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I think that, you know, for some it works really well, and I think some, maybe college faculty might like it in some ways. I, I know that I've had colleagues in the past that taught 100% online, and they loved it. Um, for me, I never signed up to do that when I was teaching. <laughs> I never, you know, they say, would you like to do my answer was no, um, because my, my personal experience, my personal preference is to work with students face to face. I worry that, especially at the higher education level, that there may be more and more of a push because, um, it may be seen as, you know, cheaper, easier, if you don't need a brick and mortar building, mm-hmm. um, but I would hate to see that become the norm. I, I think there's I
0: think online education can be fantastic, but I really feel that there needs to be both offered to students. Yeah, exactly. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to talk a little bit about your like own specific journey to like finding your path in academia and then finally working at Vermeer. So kind of starting from the very beginning, like how did you get into science and biology in the first place? So I credit my
1: grandmother um, farm and she desperately wanted to go to college as a young girl and she grew up in the depression and when she told her parents that she wanted to go to college they they actually laughed at her Mm. and so she had saved money Um, she ended up loaning it to her parents for something she never okay she never went to college and she always regretted that and so when I was growing up uh, I spent a, a great deal of time with her and she Lived in the country, and so when I would visit her, we would go on long walks, and she knew every plant, every animal. Uh, she knew all of this interesting natural history information that was fascinating to me because I always liked nature. And um, growing up it was definitely a lot of time spent in nature because we spent a lot of time on the, uh, on the family farm, uh, but also just spending time in a, in a very remote part of. Pennsylvania. And for me, it was, I, I saw this incredible woman that I admired. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw how smart she was, and yet she never felt like she was that smart. She would always say things like, well, I'm dumb, I didn't go to school. Um, and that to me was kind of a, um, I was like, no, you are you are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really inspired certainly to go into biology because of how much basic biology she knew from studying on her own, but by learning it outside of school. I was pretty good at science all the way through school, and so my parents encouraged me a lot to go to school. Both of my parents did um, get undergraduate degrees. Um, my mom is an artist, and my dad worked in human resources, so very outside of science. They are <laughs> neither of them science people, um, but they were very... Supportive with my interest in the sciences. Um, my mom had wanted to be a doctor when she was young and then got really grossed out on a visit to a hospital. So um, she thought it was cool that I wanted to be uh, a scientist. Um, and then from there it was uh, really a matter of deciding what to, what to pursue. I, my parents moved, my family moved when I was in early high school. And that actually made a big difference, um, I think, in my focus because we went from a very urban area to a much smaller town that happened to be a university town. And my mm-hmm. father started working for that university. And for me, that was a, a really good path into college because I don't know what would have happened And they kind of, you know, chuckled a little bit and they were like, no, <laughs> you know, you'd like you to go to college, but you're going to have to, you know,
0: you're going to have to pay for it. Um, and that was, I remember that was kind of my first awakening to so like, oh, I, okay, that's how that works for us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really interesting story. So, um, so like kind of the, one of the objectives, I guess, of this podcast is to, um be a resource or kind of a guide for for like young adults or teenagers high school age students who are looking to go into like biology or just science in general so I wanted to ask like were there any like challenges or anything in particular that you faced or had to overcome like on your path either to academia or like switching into to working at Vernier that you like how do you like what did you face and how did you overcome it I guess so I did I did
1: uh, my undergraduate, for the most part, felt pretty smooth. Um, I, I felt like I had a really, <clears throat> I had a really lucky experience, and that I had really excellent faculty who never seemed to doubt abilities or anything else, but when I transitioned into graduate school, it was very different, and I did encounter a larger number of faculty and and I don't know why it was, you know, one location versus another. I went to two different schools. But I did run into more faculty who to doubt my abilities because I was a woman and Mm -hmm. even said things to that effect of, you know, oh, women aren't good at this or women aren't good at that. And it was really kind of shocking um, Mm -hmm. at the time. It took me a few years to actually figure out what was going on uh, with one of my faculty members until so they said enough, they, they made enough statements that made me realize what, the, what the issue seemed to come down to. Um, and that I ended up actually, uh, using my dad's experience in HR that even broke a conversation, excuse me, a conversation, uh, with this person to be able to talk about, um, to be able to talk very frankly about sexism. Um, and to do it very carefully because when you're a graduate student, you're not really an employee. Um, you're kind of there at somebody's will, I guess, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that may be changing now. But you really have to be careful having those types of conversations. At least at the time, I I, just, I felt very vulnerable. Um, but it it did ultimately get resolved. But I had to. I, I did almost quit a few times because of it. Um, and that was, that was one, um, probably the biggest challenge that was the most demoralizing was realizing that something as simple, um, as who I was was was, going to affect somebody's perception of what I was capable of doing in terms of my project and my field work. Um, the other challenge that was really interesting, and I think it may still persist, is that there was definitely a, a preconception that, graduate students came from very wealthy families and that hung back on your wealth or your parents' wealth um, if you weren't paid, for instance, for a semester. And that came up in multiple contexts with a lot of different people where statements would be made about, you know, oh, you're all a bunch of rich kids. You, sh- you shouldn't even have to pay you. Um, and that was, uh, you know, you're already living kind of on a shoestring as a graduate student anyway and I was paying my own way through other than uh, I I did have a uh, a graduate assistantship so I I had help from university but my parents didn't pay for anything when I was in graduate school and that was an assumption was that our parents were all paying for our living expenses and things like that that was uh, something that I've also had my own students have to deal with when they've gone on from undergrad to graduate school and I always try to prepare them for that expectation, was that if they weren't from a wealthy background, they may have to, to kind of fight for their, um, uh, to be represented and to be heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was an assumption that uh, there were times that, you know, people would talk about budget cuts or something and they'd say, well, we could just cut, you know, um, students that we're supporting. And that's, of course, horrifying when you're part with your through a program and you may not be funded. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. I think it's really admirable about how, like, you were even able to broach a conversation about feeling discriminated or, like, just being able to, like, take that step, I think is really admirable and inspiring. So kind of, like, as a final note, like, what advice do you have for students who are looking to go into, like, the sciences and STEM? Um, you know, I I would tell
1: students absolutely um, go in with your eyes open and uh be ready for unexpected challenges. It's really hard to know what kind of challenge to prepare for. Um, but things I think communication is probably the biggest issue, uh good clear communication, both before you start a program, um, but also with your faculty the whole way through, from the moment that you set foot on a campus as an undergraduate be willing to, co- to communicate with your faculty members, mm-hmm. take advantage of every program, every um, experience that you are offered. Uh, I think what I saw with a lot of my students was um, that they uh, sometimes students wouldn't <coughs> aside, students wouldn't always come to uh, programs that were designed for freshman orientation or um to get students to talk to faculty they sometimes they think felt that it just wasn't for them or in some cases they were very likely too busy because of things working outside of school Um, but if at all possible that personal contact with your teachers with your faculty members is so critical in college Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of students like to be you know they might sit towards back and they want to be anonymous in class but that's actually not a great way to interact with your faculty um, it, it really means a lot to faculty when students are willing to come to them with, um, if they're struggling or come to them with questions. Um, it's, uh, it's incredibly important. Faculties don't typically, some faculty don't know to reach out to students so actively. Mm. And so it's great if students help bridge that gap. Some, some faculties do, others don't. And it's, uh, it's really a help the student, if um, if the student's willing to come go to office hours, for right? instance, never feel yeah. like you're pestering your faculty member. Take advantage of all of those
0: types of opportunities. Yeah, I think that's really good advice to give. And so, finally, do you, like have anything that you just want to say that you didn't get a chance to say, or just any like remaining things that you want to finish.
1: Um. to have really good representation because of different viewpoints mm-hmm. and I, I certainly have seen it over the years that different perspectives are so critical for scientific discovery and scientific uh, cooperation between colleagues that, um, that it, I applaud Your podcast, I actually tuned in and have been listening along with some of your podcasts. Um, So I applaud you in in helping identify and break down barriers for students.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that really means a lot. So I think that'll be it for today. Thank you so much for talking with me. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening, and make sure to come back next time. Bye!